afternoon, everybody. Welcome to our new episode of our podcast. And this time we're going to have the first ever live podcast recording in our studio. Look at the studio. Doesn't it look amazing? Looks amazing. Very nice. And uh, very, very happy we have our first live guest. She's here, Dr. Ishani Roy, the founder of Serene. Serene is a company that uses data analytics and research uh, to help companies become compliant with WASH policies, prevention of sexual harassment at the workplace. So she's here with us today. We're going to talk about diversity and inclusion. So please welcome Dr. Ishani Roy. Welcome to the podcast. Very happy to be talking to you. Thank you so much. So we're going to talk about diversity and inclusion, some of your views uh, around the topic and and also the company that you started uh, a while ago. Right? So but let's let's start a bit uh, with your journey. Right. You are a PhD in mathematics. You worked in uh, different STEM roles. So I'm very curious to hear from your journey. How did you experience diversity inclusion throughout your uh, career? Thank you so much. First of all, thank you so much for having me here. I'm really excited to be part of this conversation. Um, okay. Uh, yes, as you said, I did study mathematics. I did my PhD in applied mathematics in astrophysics, uh, did my postdoc in biomathematics. Uh, so I was always fascinated in how to use mathematics to solve any kind of physical problems, whether in biology, whether in economics, whether in physics, any of mm. those. Um, so yes, after uh, moving back to India, I was working in aerospace engineering, designing jet engines. Um, so the way Sirin started was basically, as you are well aware, the ratio of women the gender mm. ratio of women in stem field is quite skewed not only in india all over the world and it was very very low at the moment there were about almost five or six women scientists in the aerospace uh, lab as opposed to 100 male scientists oh. so the numbers were extremely uh, skewed uh, one of the things I really noticed also that women who were coming back from maternity uh, were not really staying in the STEM field as much. They were not going up in their leadership roles. They were not staying in the technical roles. So one of the things I really wanted to look at is how I can use my scientific background or research to understand what was happening for so many women to drop out of STEM field. Yeah, uh, and how was that experience for you? Because, you know, you, as you mentioned, only 5% yes. uh, of women. Uh, how was that experience for you uh, in terms of the, the workplace, in terms of studying? Yes, um, it is actually when I was doing my PhD, I think uh, the numbers were about 10%. Um, postdoc it, uh, in Oxford, it definitely reduced quite a bit. Uh, but yes, in the workplace, the gender ratio is much, much lower. Mm. It is it's stark when you, as you go up in the leadership ladder, yeah, for yeah, example. But it starts, as you said, it starts already in college. Yes. Basically, right? If you look at gender diversity, for example, in, in our office, I think overall we're at around 30-ish percent. 
uh, if you go into leadership, indeed, it's lower, like 20%, 15%. But it already starts in college. For example, when we go recruiting in college, you see already sometimes that there's like a 30 70 percent split yes so it starts early on right uh what do you think are some of the reasons behind that behind that well in the technical field if you stem field if you see yes it is true there are fewer girls who go into higher education uh there are several reasons for that especially if you look at india for example um if you see girls are doing quite well up to school they are doing very well up to their boards exams, for example. But there are several societal reasons as well. Why don't uh, more girls go into higher education? A lot of times it's safety. Our parents may not even send them out to college in certain places. Uh, sometimes there is the imposter syndrome. If you do not see somebody like you in that field, mm. it's very hard for you to imagine that you will be successful in that field, right? So the imposter syndrome plays out quite a bit, not just in India, uh, all over the world for girl children. Okay, so we need more role models, more role models. in fact, in each of those sure. of those areas. Right. And then as you said, no, then, then with maternity, also another very difficult career point, I think, for a lot of women to come back into, into the workplace. Yes. Uh, what, what are some of the, the challenges that women have have there and, and how can we as companies help facilitate that, that transition? Yes, uh, there are a lot of challenges that women face uh, when, they, uh, when they come back from maternity. A lot of it due to the assumptions, right? Say if you are coming back and you're splitting your time in the workplace or at home, there are a lot of assumptions that are made that uh, will she be able to manage her team productively? Mm. Will they be? Will she be able to go for travels, for example, without even asking a person? These implicit assumptions are often made. Often there are explicit uh, sort of assumptions which are made, saying that you know if a mother prioritizes work over their family, maybe they are too aggressive, maybe they are too ambitious. Those often work against uh, women who are coming back from maternity. Yeah. But yes, the playing field can definitely be made more level by organization, as you said. So if you have gender neutral policies, for example, instead of having only women taking maternity policies yeah. and having very short paternity policies, if you have a sort of equitable paternal um, parental policy yeah. and more men are encouraged to take those breaks, for example, then that stigma towards a person taking a break yep. is often leveled. Yeah. And that automatically helps a person become, you know. Yeah, because then the choice of continuing the career is yes. is equal for let's Ooh. say the new mother or the father. Or right? the so father. they can yes. have the conversation, see who goes for the career. Yes. If either of them has the same amount of of paternal leave. Yes. Basically. Yes. Do you see a lot of companies already with this type of um policies? I do see a lot of companies uh, having six months parental policies, for example, but I do not see many men taking those. <laughs> <laughs> ah, okay, so the problem is is uh, not just with companies providing the policies, but then also the family actually deciding, deciding. to pursue. Uh... A lot of peer pressure as well. It's how would they be perceived if a man mm. takes six months of break and not do anything at home. That's how it's well. Because. There's a lot to do at home. I, I can tell you, I have three kids, so there's a lot to do at home. Yeah. So, how did you come up with the idea of uh, of your startup, of your 
venture, Serene? Uh, yes. That, so, like I said, one of the things was that I wanted to look deeper into why there were fewer women in technical field. But very quickly, we kind of realized that it's not just about women who feel excluded in the workplace. There are men who are coming from our smaller towns, for example, people who speak local languages, people who don't speak English or speak English in a certain way. Everyone at some point of their time, they have felt excluded in the workplace. So it is important for us to understand what is inclusion in the workplace for everyone and how do we use research and data to mm. uh, you know, make a change in this. Yeah. So you people. look at more than gender diversity, you look at all types of, uh, Definitely. of diversity. Right. If we talk about recruitment, I think this is a fascinating topic because we also want to improve you know, diversity in our GCC office overall, but also at leadership level. One of the levers to use is your recruitment process, right? So the first step that we took last year was to work with a 50-50 availability of CV. So we have a new Perfect. position. Yes. Great. We want to see 50% male candidates, female candidates, right? And from there on, the process continues. But is that enough? Because, okay, it's a first step, yes. but then still you can end up with an 80-20 in the end diversity recruitment yes. in the end right so how how do you manage or create visibility around potential biases that are still there in that recruitment process and a lot of them might be unconscious yes. biases now that's actually a surge what you said about the 50 50 or cv the candidate that's no. actually a big step huge step i would say because how often do you, like you said, that only 30% of women are studying uh, STEM or computer no. science. Now, if you want to go hire a developer, how do you even get the 50% CVs? You have to put in a lot more resources. No. Your hiring managers have to put in a lot more time to do that. So I would congratulate you, you on the first step because not a lot of people are doing that. Okay. We had something like a pandemic here in the last two years. Um, have, have you seen the pandemic changing something? uh in regards to diversity and inclusion do we see different types of challenges for example for mothers and fathers who are all at home with their kids yeah. or gen gen z you know the, the new people uh entering the work uh, mm -hmm. space yeah. so do you see new types of diversity and inclusion challenges popping up very much very much i'm so glad you brought this up uh, all over the world this is happening. This is not no. just in India, but all over the world. Parents, because the lack of childcare, lack of ch children going to school, for example, lack of house help, all of this is leading uh, a lot of work for parents and it is very difficult for them to manage. So yes, we are seeing and also studies are showing that women are more significantly affected than men. Uh, it is understandable, right? Mm. Because all over the world, women do more unpaid work than men. Unpaid work being housework, care of elderly, care of children. Um, all of these are called un unpaid work, right? And all over the world, women do a lot more unpaid work. In India, women do five times more unpaid work than men. So it's very difficult for them in that case to manage office work when there is so much more work that needs to be done at home as well. Yeah. And you also, your company works a lot around preventing harassment mm -hmm. as well right maybe we need to introduce that concept a little bit and, and then i'm also interested to understand how has the pandemic changed 
yeah, that, that context. That context, yes. So prevention of sexual harassment, like Serge, you said, uh, it is anti-sexual harassment. So bullying, any kind of verbal harassment, any physical harassment that happens, like unintentional touching, sometimes compliments can be very uncomfortable. Uh, it can be in the form of any virtual harassment, like a meme that is sent over, which is homophobic, for example. Any of these things can be harassment, right? In India, a few years ago, we had a law which is called the Bosch Law, yeah. Prevention of Sexual Harassment, which mandates that every company needs to put in, um, you know, certain compliances, trainings to educate their employees against sexual harassment. And how should they report it if they're faced with sexual harassment, for example? Uh, so your question about pandemic and the impact on uh, of the pandemic on sexual harassment, Bosch, for example, you'd be surprised. My first instinct was if you're not meeting face-to-face, -face, harassment should reduce. No. Yeah, it didn't. It's the assumption, no? That's... It is an assumption, but it didn't. I mean, the amount of uh, cases that we dealt with that happened virtually on different platforms was just amazing. I was just so surprised. I'll give you some examples. Um, speakers were harassed or bullied over Zoom calls. Uh, called certain names or trolled. These are all form of cyber mm. uh, harassment, right? They all form under non-virtual um, uh, harassment. Perhaps maybe because people were frustrated staying at home. Mm. Perhaps virtual environments give you the anonymity, the semi-anonymity that yeah. you know you can get away with it. But yeah, there were a lot of cases of lot of cyberbullying, lot of harassment. That wow, that's kind of counterintuitive. No? Yes. I would have also assumed that you would see less yes. uh, of these cases, but in fact, it's the opposite. And, and you're right, no? the, probably the barrier is even a little bit lower now Very because true. it's like the cyberbullying is also all around. On the other hand, does it also lower, do you think, the barrier for women to report cases? Oh. The fact that you know, you're not in the work yes. environment, so the person who has potentially harassed you is not there. Do you think it also lowered the barrier very, for people to report? Very much, very much. I think that's an excellent point. If I am face-to-face -face at work, I am seeing my management every day. I'm seeing my manager mm. every day. I know there is a committee which is trained to handle my case in a confidential way. If I don't see them face-to-face, -face, right, it's very, very hard for me to reach out to them suddenly and say, oh, such and such things have happened. Mm. Also, it's something that you question yourself a lot more when you're at home, when you're going through certain emotional, um, you know, upheavals yourself, you question yourself. Did it actually happen or am I no. overreacting? So I completely agree no. with you, Serge. If you are face to face with a person, with the management, with our workers, with friends, people who can step in for you, for example, you're more likely to yeah, yeah, which is which is a good thing, no? Yes. I read in one of your blogs that that it is still believed that very few people or very few women actually report uh, cases of of, of sexual harassment. Yeah. So, how as companies can we help? On the one hand, it's you know, working with companies like you and make sure everybody's aware about the policy and the legislation. But there's probably more that has to be done. Again, to lower the barrier for people to report yes. those cases. So first of all, is it correct that even though there is a legislation, still very few cases get reported? And secondly, how can we improve that? What can employees do? What can companies do? 
Um, so in terms of uh, numbers, uh, uh, yes, you are right. Uh, in just the top 50 companies in India, uh, there would be lakhs of people who are employed. Still only 700 people, approximately 700 people report cases of sexual mm -hmm. harassment. And uh, a lot of times we think more cases of harassment in a company is more unsafe. That's not true. That means people feel safe enough yeah. to speak up. So just like you said, companies like yours who are doing constant trainings, for example, mm. making it an everyday conversation, that's where things actually happen. That's where people feel safe to speak up. Yes, there's a lot to do, a lot mm. to do in terms of, but there is societal things as well, right? How often do we, are we, do we speak up? Mm. Uh, speaking up, say, for example, something happened in a family group. Are you likely to speak up? In a confront, family group. Confront. It's probably difficult. Probably you, difficult you'll think right? about it two, three times yeah. before you start that the conversation. Yeah, yeah, very much. And same with sexual harassment as well. If I feel uncomfortable, I'm not as likely to confront the situation or speak up. But what can we do? Mm. Say if somebody else speaks up, there's research which says bystander intervention. Bystander intervention means somebody who has observed sexual harassment speaks up for you or supports mm. you or reports the incident. That actually goes a long, long way. So one of the things what we say to people that create an environment where your friend or your colleague or somebody who is a bystander also supports you or speaks up. Yeah, yeah. And, and you mentioned earlier on microaggressions. No, what does that mean and, and what kind of an impact can they have? Uh, microaggressions are basically subtle forms of harassment, right? It's a very uh, subtle comment. It's a very simple, innocuous question. Which can make somebody feel very uncomfortable. Uh, I'll give you a few examples of what microaggressions can be. Say, for example, you ask somebody, uh, aren't you too old for this job? Or aren't you too young for, to take up this role? Uh, a lot of time microaggressions play up because we were talking about maternity. Uh, a lot of times microaggressions play for, in a way that uh, you ask somebody, oh, so you have come to work, what, who's taking care of your children? Mm. These are simple questions, almost uh, in under the veil that I am quite concerned about you. So I'm asking about this, but they make you feel very uncomfortable, right? Uh, what could be some of the impact you think? Say, for example, I ask them, oh, you speak really good English or mm. where are you from? So what did that make you feel? Okay, that puts you in a box that, yeah, that maybe you don't want to be, you know? Yes, exactly. No. It makes you feel like you're somebody else. You don't belong here. Oh, I'm not supposed to speak English then? Oh, I'm not supposed to be from here then, even though I grew up here? So it makes you question yourself. It mm. makes you feel that I'm outsider and the majority group, I don't belong to them, right? So it's like an exclusion, another form of exclusion. And what happens when you feel excluded? Well, you don't feel at home in that workplace, no? so you don't really want to be there, I guess. Yes, you don't no. feel that you belong, you don't want no. to be there. If you face more discrimination, you don't want to speak no. up. You no. just want to probably leave. But, but how should you handle, no? imagine that you, you are a victim to those microaggressions. Yes. What would you do? What you, would you advise our listeners here to, to do in that case? Microaggressions are once again very, very difficult because of this nature, that subtle nature, right? When you're talking about microaggressions, they're very, very subtle. They're very, very innocuous. They're not, they're always uh, something that doesn't seem very 
sad or explicit, right? That's why they're so difficult to deal with. What would you do? Uh, it's not very easy to confront. Um, do you have any ideas? No. <laughs> no um, probably, I think the only thing I could think of is just tell the person that, okay, I don't really like this this yeah. comment, but it then depends on how comfortable you are to address it to maybe your manager or somebody even more. Yes, very much, very much, absolutely. Depends on what dynamics you have with that person. Depends on, um, for example, how comfortable you feel in the workplace. So two things you can do. Uh, one is say, for example, somebody else steps in, like I said, bystander intervention. That also works in microaggressions, right? You may draw aside someone saying that, you know, those very uh, personal questions you are asking a person who is gay, it's just too personal. Don't ask that, mm. right? You can just step in for another person. Uh, one thing that really helps is if you have a very open work environment where you're not afraid of speaking up. So what do I mean by that? There is no not going to be any retaliation if I tell someone that I didn't like that comment. So that has to be slowly created. Yeah. And a management, uh, the leadership has a lot to do with it. So if you slowly create an environment, and I've seen this happen in a lot of smaller companies as well, they're very used to telling each other, hey, don't say that. I don't think that came out very nice. Mm. And they're okay with that. Yeah. So once you make that kind of an open environment, a lot of microaggressions, no. I think. But that's a culture that you will need to build. Right? It will take some time. Yes. All right, very good. So DNI for sure has become a bit of a buzzword nowadays and is highly focused, I think, still on, on gender as well. Whereas in India, there's different types of, of diversity. So what, what can corporates do to move the needle on all types of diversity, equity, and inclusion? Uh, I really like the word equity, and I'm so glad you brought it up because typically, like you said, it's become a buzzword, DNI, right? Diversity mm. and inclusion. But not very often we talk about the concept of equity or inequity. Or what does it mean? Inequity basically means that I am not aware that a person is at a different stage in, um, as, as opposed to me, right? And that's, that's what privilege is, right? Yeah. You're not often aware of your own privileges. Privilege is quite unseen, right? We, are all, we all like to believe that I have worked really hard to be where I am, right? We often forget that our parents, the education that they gave us, the college that I got to go to, the books that I read because my parents got me those books, the media, the, the museums that I was exposed to, the travels that I got to go to, uh, the network that my parents' friends exposed me to, that had a lot to play with it where I am today, right? That's what unearned privilege is. Mm. So once I think you realize what privilege is or what are the privileges you enjoy, it's slightly easier to see the inequities that are in the workplace. So I'll give you a few examples. If, say, as a man, you see that, I know, I there was some biases that I faced, maybe it is same as the biases that a woman is facing when they're, you know, getting stuck at a particular position. Uh, or as a woman, you see that certain minority groups, the way uh, they're coming from different regions or different local languages that they're speaking or from a different religion, for example, they're facing the same microaggressions, the same biases that I have faced, right? 
the person who has faced those kind of bullying or discrimination, they are seeing that it is very similar to the one that a person from an LGBTQ community have faced. Mm -hmm. So it's a slow process. Once you are, I think, aware of your privileges, you're more aware of the inequities that are faced by somebody else. And that I think uh, corporates have to constantly go about talking beyond gender, gender as a binary, for example, talking about like, what are the different ways? Just the points I mentioned, social metric, class, caste, and religion, we don't often talk about. No. But once we start bringing it up, making it a simple, simple conversation, just to have that, you know, can I have an open conversation about all forms of equity, all forms of inclusion? Do, yeah. do you have an example there of how do you talk about those, let's say, complex and probably very taboo yes. type yes. Of, uh, of of diversity? Yes. How do we address, how do you address those? It? Yeah, simplify it, right? Uh, I would say from my own experience, simplify it. If you want to talk about, say, religion or people's backgrounds, start talking about food. <laughs> yeah, really start talking about what food people bring that veg microwave and non-veg microwave, just bring it up and see what people think about it. Okay. You get so many different ideas what people think about just food and what they eat and whether they feel comfortable sharing food with each other or not. Mm -hmm. I, I get a lot of questions about eating vegetarian food versus non-vegetarian food. These can be simple conversations that you bring mm -hmm. up with everybody. Very interesting. So then... We talked about uh, gender diversity in leadership, uh, but I see equal challenges again in overall uh, diversity in leadership uh, roles. What else can companies do to improve overall diversity in leadership? Any best practices that you've seen with uh, Serene? Well, this is a very difficult question. Mm -hmm. It's a very difficult question because the current trends are actually not quite conducive to what we are trying to do. So if you look at uh, the countries which are growing, the developing countries where GDP is increasing, right? The overall uh, FLFP in, at, at the moment is between 19 and 20%. So India is an anomaly. It's one of the very few countries where as your GDP is going up, the female labor force participation is coming down. But it should be other way around, right? Yep. As the GDP goes up, people have more money. They have the more resources to teach the girl child. The girl child goes to school. That girl child goes and studies, right? Isn't It is opposite in India. So um, so what you are saying, and there are several reasons for that. Mm -hmm. It's not only workplace. You know, the whole responsibility does not fall under on the businesses. But there is a lot to do with society as well. How... Uh, safe it is to travel to work, how safe it is to go and study, all of these things depend on it. So uh, I know it is an answer which is not looking very positive, but yes, there's a lot more work we have to do. First of all, getting more women to work in the workplace and for them to be promoted without biases in the leadership positions. A lot can be achieved by having role models, like you said, right? If people uh, are going through imposter syndrome if you don't see leaders in there it's very very difficult for no. people to aspire to do that no because um, now we talked a bit about the india context and with with your company serene you also work with other countries right even in in europe uh, in asia do you see a big difference there in terms of 
DNI, stage of DNI between India and other countries. First of all, I'll talk about other countries and then talk about India. Uh, DNI, in other countries, um, what is the difference? So it shows that if there are to be more, I'll take gender, for example, mm -hmm. if there are to be more women in leadership in STEM, in uh, people who lead the country in governments, for example, lawyers, doctors, any of these professional fields, uh, the causation is very, very direct from equitable societies. So if you have an equitable society to begin with, you're no. more likely to have women in leadership positions. So it starts from the basics, for example, the difference between a girl child and a boy child, if it is lower in terms of access to nutrition, access to education, uh, healthcare, for example, how unbiased the school curriculum is, how, uh, what are they exposed to in all of these play a huge role how women are actually going up in leadership position. So typically I'm talking about Scandinavian countries where uh, where there are a lot more equitable society and it's more likely for a woman to become an entrepreneur, become a leader uh, and go into governance, for example. Coming to your question about how DNI is, India is doing in terms of DNI. So uh, I'll just take a step back and what to you is DNI? What do you mean by DNI? Well, what to is me, it? is DNI. Well, for me, first of all, it's something very obvious. Okay. Right. Um, so I think that a place, a workplace, needs to be as diverse as the society. Okay. Right. Okay. And it, it should be like natural, right? Uh, yeah. But obviously, it is not yeah. today. Right. Yeah. That's, that's a beautifully explained. I really liked it. So if you are saying that the workplace should replicate or mimic the society, then you need to identify why it is not doing mm. that, right? So why are minority groups facing challenge to stay in the workplace? Right? So that's a very good way to look at it. Now, once we break it down, like what is happening that uh, the minority groups are not staying in the workplace, you will see a few different things. One is, say, for example, policies and infrastructure, right? Your company, for example, has excellent policies for any minority group. You have excellent infrastructure. If I go to a factory, for example, what would be the first mm. challenge? Restrooms, right? Mm. I'll not even be able to go to the restroom. So how will I work there for a 12-hour shift, right? So uh, policies and infrastructure are the first and foremost challenges that they face. Secondly, like we talked about different kinds of biases, right? If mm. I face biases, it's very unlikely that I will stay in the workplace. Third one would be imposter syndrome. If I don't see somebody like me mm. in a leadership position, I may not stay. And the fourth one is a society and gender roles. So uh, how is India doing in terms of that? Because of these corporates, because of the IT sector, the tech sector, for example, infrastructure are being put in place, yeah. right? We have a lot of good policies that we did not have 10 years, 15 years ago. This thing about safety, for example, we talk about POSH almost as a compliance, but that gives us the confidence, right? If I have a policy, I know that tomorrow if I go to work at 10 p.m., I'll still be protected, right? Yeah. I may not be as safe traveling in the bus, but I'll still be protected inside my office. That gives you a huge amount of confidence. So a lot of bigger companies are doing excellent in terms of flexible work hours, in terms of having the infrastructure in place. Um, maybe a little bit more can be done in terms of mitigating biases. 
society, tough. It's going to be tough. Mitigating biases, having more women in leadership positions, yeah. those things can be done. Good. So um, we talked a little bit about leadership as well. No, Leadership has an important role to play. We need to also have policies to improve DNI, but it's also ground up. Something that needs to grow ground up. So what can employees do, for example, to improve DNI? This is something really we think about quite a lot because, like you said, right, it's difficult for us to confront a situation or speak up for ourselves. So one of the things that employees can do, just like you said, be aware of things that can make somebody uncomfortable or speak up for others. Mm-hmm. So this concept of bystander intervention, it actually works very beautifully. It just says that, you know, if, if I find somebody not as likely to uh, speak up for themselves, if I intervene, that might actually go a long way. So yes, if you create a culture where people sort of support each other, uh, listen to each other, listening is a big thing as well in inclusion. If they are, uh, if they also take the sort of uh, proactively go and speak to a manager about something, hmm. all of these things do really help. You know. Maybe an example there, because I think this is an important point. No? I mean, um, imagine that in my team, I see somebody um, who is being excluded, yes. right? Or being treated differently, or maybe even harassed to a certain yes. extent, right? Yes. And I can somehow observe that, and you said all the team members could play a role in supporting that person. What would be some of the things that I could do, right? Should I just see the situation, go talk to HR, report it, or are there other ways to maybe in a more subtle way deal uh, with the situation and help that that colleague? Just Mm. like you said, reporting comes later, right? At the moment, what can you do? Well, one thing is to say that you distract, right? Mm. Uh, say a harassment is happening by someone towards another person and you're not able to directly confront it. You change the subject. You just bring up something completely different about the person in a positive, put them in a positive light, for example. Just change the subject, you know, automatically mm. that diffuses. Another thing you can do is speak to them separately. Draw them aside afterwards. Hey, uh, I know what you were saying at that time, but it came across as a little uh, too direct. Mm. or a little impolite, so perhaps not use it later on. So speak up on someone's behalf, but later on. No, 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 no. Okay. No, that's, I think, is very useful because sometimes yeah. you might, you know, our employees also might be confronted with this yeah. type of situation, but uncomfortable and, and not really yeah. knowing how to approach it. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about myths. So what are some of the most common myths that you have uh, seen and came across in terms of diversity and inclusion, right? I mean, one one myth for sure I, I heard a couple of times is that why do we have low representation in tech schools is because women are less familiar with tech, yes. and that's why we have less. Okay, for sure, a myth, right? There's other reasons behind yes. that, but any any other myths that you came across in in corporate world around DNI? Yes, uh, there is that meritocracy myth, right? Mm. That you know everything is by merit that if I have worked very, very well, I am here only because of my merit Mm. and completely forgetting that the other people, for example, if there is a person you are hiring from a transgender community, they have not gone through the privileges that you have Mm. gone through. 
So there is a meritocracy myth. There is also another one we hear very, very commonly where hiring managers would say that, um, you know, I want to hire a diverse candidate, but I don't want to lower the bar. So that's always the performance bar myth, right? What would you do in a situation like that? No, what we do uh, very actively, as, as we said before, no, make sure we get an equal amount of, of candidates. Yeah. And I think even to a certain extent, do like positive discrimination. Right? It's not about lowering the bar, I think. It's not about that at all, right? You have quality in, in, in all genders or any other type of diversity. It's a matter of making sure that you talk to the right candidates and that you do an, an effort to meet those, those candidates. So I think, first of all, making sure you have the 50% 50, 50 split. Yeah. But second, also really putting some really positive discrimination. Yeah. Maybe. No? Yeah, giving them a chance equal to that other person, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah that's much. it. Yeah. So for the lowering the bar, I will. Have you heard of the uh, study that was done by the Boston Symphony Orchestra? Uh, so the Boston Symphony Orchestra, basically in the seventies, actually they realized that predominantly the uh, musicians who were playing in the orchestra were mainly men and uh, white men. So there were very few women and there were very few uh, African-American men or women, right? So they wanted to happening there. Were they uh, basically not getting hired as musicians or they were not continuing on? Turns out they were just not getting hired. So they wanted to try out an experiment. So what they did, you might have seen that uh, show called The Voice, I think. Yeah. What they did was that black screen, basically. So on one side, there were the judges and on the other side, there were the musicians on stage were playing the music, right? So what would be your criteria to hire a musician? How amazing the musician music, is. Right, music <laughs> that they play, right? So you would have thought that music was their criteria. They did not think gender would be. So they put the black screen and tried to decide. So a few years down the line, they took the looked at the study again and the numbers and turned out Yes, there was a little bit of a difference. More women got hired, but not so many. Uh, so they wanted to look at it again. So they did one tiny little step. What they said is that before going on stage, take off your shoes. So basically, the tap tap of women's heels were biasing the judges. So a few years, again, 10 years down the line, when they looked at the numbers, it was almost 30% uh, representation mm. of women and other minority groups in the orchestras. So what happened here? Did we lower the performance bar? No, no right? No. We just put in place some processes where you were forced to look beyond your biases. So that's what we mean by other myths that, you know, you don't have to lower your performance bar. Yeah, yeah that's, I think that's an amazing example. A very powerful example, by the way. Uh, I think BNI is just the right thing to do. But a, an interesting point of view that I think you also wrote about is that um, being a more diverse and inclusive company can impact your products to, uh, you know, for, for the better. Can you give some examples there of how DNI is impacting products of companies? Sure, sure. Maybe let me first flip it, right? Let hmm. me uh, ask you for an example where if you don't have diversity in your teams, can it adversely affect a product? So let me give you an example of a product which did not come out quite great. Uh, you know Barbie dolls, right? 
Vettel produces Barbie dolls and first time they came up with a Barbie doll which was supposed to talk to the person who was playing with it, um, it failed miserably. Do you know why? So it's a voice activated Barbie doll. So the training data set was typically male voices. So the Barbie doll just could not understand the little girl's voice. So there are a lot of products which if you don't have a diversity in you, the people who are designing they it. They can to work out very differently, very than, differently than they should work out. Yeah. And the same probably happens in, in marketing campaigns. I mean, as a, as a company, we're doing a lot of work to make sure that our products and, and, and campaigns are also much more, uh, you know, first of all, diverse. So representing all uh, aspects of you know, society in, mm-hmm. in, the, in the commercials, also more inclusive. If you would look at a, a commercial from years ago, it would look very differently than and it looks today, which I think is, is a good thing. It's a do, do you see similar things happening in other industries where, you know, the, the, the marketing and the commercials yes. also somehow misrepresent yes, uh, yes. DNI? Very true. So there was recently a law passed in UK um, and a lot of companies like Unilever, for example, have now collaborated with the United Nations to change their marketing strategies or the commercials that we see on TV. Uh, one example would be toothpaste ads. Who do you typically see on toothpaste ads? A child with a concerned mother who is talking to a doctor who is <laughs> typically male. So that's actually, there's data to show that women are portrayed less than 5% of times in as doctors or in leadership roles. So there are like now uh, legislations which are passed in different mm. countries saying that you can't show it that way because little girls won't aspire to become doctors if they don't see themselves in the media, no. for example. No. Wow, amazing. All right. Thank you very much, Ishani, for uh, being here in our podcast. It was an amazing conversation. I had some questions prepared, but I asked many more questions <laughs> here live in the session. So I learned a lot. Thank you very much you. for being here. Thank you, Serge. Thank you really for having me here. All right. Thank you. Thanks all for joining. Thanks to our listeners, to our viewers. Make sure to share this episode with your friends, your family. And uh, see you next time. Thank you very much for joining. Cheers.